The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Welcome to Overland Park Community Church. Good to have you here with us today. If it's your first time here, we'd encourage you to fill a connection card out. Let us know who you are so we can begin praying for you and uh, hopefully you become part of our family here at Overland Park Community Church. Back in 1988... I was 18, and I didn't know much about deer hunting at all. I know that's like shocking to y'all, but I did not. And I, my, my dad had taken us uh, bird hunting. We had bird dogs when I was younger, and, and we had done some quail hunting and things of that nature, done a lot of dove hunting. Um, and my grandpa was even a coon hunter. Now, if you've never did that, that is like off the chart. If you ever get an opportunity to do that, like, I'm really preaching to Johnson County right now, aren't I? Hey, <laughs> I'm telling you, that is fun. Uh, but anyway, so in 1989, I, I had never, like, like, 88, 89, hadn't gone deer hunting. My brother really, my older brother got into deer hunting. And so he lived in southeastern Oklahoma, and there's some rolling hills there. It's kind of the foothills of what's going on in, in Arkansas. It's a real pretty part of the state in southeastern Oklahoma. Big pine trees and, and forests, nothing like where I grew up. Um, if you've been through the Oklahoma City area, you know there are not big forests around. And so uh, we, we, we go down there. My dad takes me uh, down there, and we go for a hunt. And so my brother, like, I, I don't know anything about what I'm doing. He puts a rifle in my hand. Of course, I was comfortable with guns. Um, he puts a rifle in my hand. He says, you just got to get out there early, and, and you got to find a spot and set up. And so uh, and you do the same thing, you come back in, you eat lunch, and you go back out, you know, before dark, a few hours before dark, and you sit until dark. And so um, I proceeded to do this, and that first evening hunt, I walked, and I walked, of course it was day, and I walked down, and I thought, oh, this is really going to be a good spot right here. And so I sat until dark, and then I started walking out, and it was terrifying, <laughs> like it was pitch black. There were trees all around. I was trying to, like, navigate on this trail. I, I didn't want to disturb the woods because I wanted to hunt there the next morning. So I'm trying to sneak out, and I'm, I'm walking down this trail. It's dark. I can kind of see a little bit, but not very good. And I start feeling like somebody's watching me. And so I'm like, no, oh, Jimmy, you're stupid. There's nobody watching you. You're out in the middle of nowhere. Oh, Jimmy, there's somebody watching you. And so finally, I, like, get the courage. I've kind of got my gun, you know, like, just in case. And so I, I get my light out. And I, I stop, and I'm nervous enough, and I turn my light on. And about six feet in front of me, there's a big cow just going like this. It scared me to death. And then I look around, there's cows all over, all around me on, on this trail. I was right in the middle of the whole herd and had no idea. So there was no doubt I was being watched. And when I was able to turn the light on, it just changed my perspective on everything. And of course, I wasn't thinking I was going to be murdered anymore. I think I was, I was realizing I was in a safe area. Everything was okay. But, but when we talk about divine vision, um, it, it, it's always about God. And so we, we've, been spent, we've spent several weeks like unpacking the life of Nehemiah and his incredible leadership and how he, his life intersected with divine vision. And we, we get to the last half of the book and we start going through, uh, it's no longer so much about Nehemiah and the building of the wall. It's not about the wall anymore when you get to the second half of, of Nehemiah. 
it's about the people and about the city. And, and so we see the people moving into the city and we see a lot of genealogies going on and stuff. And so we, 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 we come to this thing where I think it's really important for us to understand as I've been teaching throughout this series that divine vision, when your life intersects with divine vision, there are a lot of incredible things that happen. God starts moving and he, he starts doing things in your life. Like, you know, that one week I, I talked about um, God shows us stuff. I think it was last week. That, like, why would God do that? And, and why, why is vision important for us? Like, why does God want to breathe vision into your life? Like, wh- why does God even need to do that? Are you going to add value to who God is? No, like God is God and anything we do, we can't add any value to him. Yet he still chooses to breathe this vision into our lives about his kingdom. And the question is, is, is why, why does he do that? Why does he use prophets like Jeremiah to say things for, like he does in, in 29.11 to the nation of Israel and then that comes even over to us and it's a timeless principle that we can apply. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Like why, why would God say that? Why would God even care like that he wants to give us a plan for the, and a hope for the future? Well, God wants to shine on us because it's how he reaches people. He wants to shine that vision into our lives and he wants to illuminate what's going on in our lives in order to reach out to other people. Israel, when Abraham received the promise from God, and God comes to Abraham and he makes a promise to him that he's gonna make him a, a father of nations, it was all about Israel being a light, that nation was gonna be a light to the rest of the world. And so how was God going to communicate to humanity what he was like? If you're a spiritual being and you're gonna communicate to this creation you've created humanity, how are you going to go about doing that? Well, God chose that he was going to do it through a person, that he was gonna turn into a nation and that nation would reflect to the rest of the world what he was like. That's why there are all these, these laws and these rules in the Old Testament that govern how they were to live, is he was trying to not just teach Israel, he was trying to teach the world what he was like. It's interesting, even during the time of Moses, that um, God starts moving with the plagues, and, and each one of the plagues is like, like they, they worship the Nile River. The Egyptians did. So what does God do? He uses Moses to turn the Nile into blood. They, they worship the sun. So what does God do? He uses the plague. One of the plagues is of darkness that, that, that like just totally destroys their view of the, the pagan God that they had. And so each one of the plagues has a, a specific purpose that it does that. And so God is saying to Egypt through Israel that he is the one true God. And so whenever our lives intersect with divine vision, it's all about God using us to say to the lost world what he's like. This is why Jesus says, and, and the principle comes all the way over, it applies to us in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and six, through 16, Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. 
And so God wants to shine his vision into our lives and he wants our lives to intersect with that. He wants us to take our free will and yield to what he's calling us to do because that's how he reaches out to other people. If you stop and think about why you're a follower of Jesus, I guarantee you, you can find somebody in your life who shined light, whom you looked at their life, you saw something, there was a, there was a reflection of God in their lives and God used that to call you unto himself. And probably multiple people and, and different events that God used. But it was always, um, it's always God using a person, calling them to a specific vision. They begin to fulfill it. So their life intersects with divine vision and God spreads the kingdom through that event. So we, we don't want to hide that light. We teach the kids. You learn from a very young age. If you grow up in church, and it used to when, when I was growing up, there was a song, um, hide it under a bushel. No, I, I'm, I'm going to let it shine you got to let that light shine. And so it's based off this passage of Scripture, but it goes all the way back into the Old Testament. This was the purpose of the nation of Israel, is that God was going to reflect his glory to the entire world through this nation. And so as the church, when we become believers in Christ, we are part of that, that kingdom of Christ. And so the same applies to us, is that we are, we are going to accomplish the things that God calls us to accomplish specifically, and as we accomplish those things, we're reaching out for the Lord himself. And so there are some keys that I want to just kind of land this series on today. I didn't know how long we would go, but as I, I dug into it more, it was kind of quite apparent to me that, that, like, this is it right here, okay? So we're going somewhere different next week. <laughs> but but you, you look at the last few chapters and you can kind of see a summary uh, of, of the people. And, and here's, here's the first thing that I, I think we see. We shine when God moves. So anytime that God moves, it's, an, it's a window opening in the dimension of time in which we are able to shine specifically. So we always need to be looking for God to move in our lives. In Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 16, we learn something very important about the construction of the wall. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations, and this is about the completion of the wall, when they heard about it, all the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. What did they see? They saw that what just took place could not have taken place by mere human power alone. It was the hand of God working in the midst of the situation that allowed them to achieve this impossible task of rebuilding a wall that had been, like it had been in ruins for years, hundreds of years. Nobody, and it, there had been attempts to rebuild it. It couldn't be done. And all of a sudden in 52 days, it was erected. And how, how were they able to explain it? The hand of God. And so all the surrounding nations took notice and said, man, Israel's God is back at work once again. And so with divine vision, um, when we intersect with that, it brings glory to God. And so God, like, this is, this is pretty cool if you stop and think about it. Like, God looks down, and he wants to pour out grace. He wants to pour out mercy. He wants to pour out power. And he wants to pour out clarity and wisdom in our lives because when he does, 
we are reflecting his glory to the world. And so it's as if God is pouring out his glory on a person in order to reflect his glory to all those around. And that's why Paul says in the New Testament, um, we, we, that's exactly what we do. We are reflectors. We just reflect his glory back to him. And so there's this relationship that I'm often talking about, and it's being in this divine, intimate position with the Lord where we're constantly maintaining that reflection with God. We're, we're, we're walking in such a way that God can keep pouring out that power in our lives so that we can shine brighter. Now, the thing is, is that, that there are people around us, they're walking all around us, and they're kind of like me out in the forest. They're scared, they're nervous, but they don't even know what they're scared of because they cannot see it. They cannot see what's around them, and they're incapable of seeing what's around them without the glory of God shining in their lives. In their lives. And so how is God going to shine that glory in their lives? He's going to do it through people like you and I. And so as, as we go through life and we're walking and being obedient to the Lord and we're intimate, then we're, we're taking the light of the gospel into our places of employment, into our neighborhoods, into our, our schools. Everywhere we go, we're taking the light of the gospel. And so God is interested in pouring out his glory on our lives. Often the Bible talks about this as favor, that I have favor with the Lord. And, and I'm walking in such a way that God is he's, he's granting me that favor. Now, why does he want to do that? I'm going to say he doesn't want to do it if we're not walking with him. Why? Because if he does it and we're disobedient, it is a poor reflection of all that he is, and it's confusing to the people around us. And so God is looking for people who are serious about seeing the vision that he has for their lives and the vision that he has for the world, allowing those two to come together and intersect so that he can grant and bestow his favor upon us and allow us to accomplish the mission that he has for us. And so we always want to be looking um, for when God moves, because when God moves, shining takes place. And so when God moves in your life and he calls you uh, into salvation, then there's shining of the glory of God in your life. And that's why you're so excited. And that's why you, you feel so elated. Uh, when, when God calls you to, to, to be baptized or, or to serve in some capacity and you respond, the shining takes place. And so anytime God moves, there is a shining that takes place that he wants to use to advance his kingdom. So we always want to be looking for God to move in a particular area of our lives. There should never be a time in your life as a follower of Jesus where you're not looking for God to move in a particular way. Like all of us should be. This is not for professional ministers. We all should be looking for the movement of God. Why? Because we're concerned about his mission. We're not looking for him to just bless us, if you will. We're looking to achieve what he wants us to achieve. What is the mission? Go forward and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And lo, he says, I am with you always. How is he with us? He shines in our lives by granting us favor in the midst of all that we have to do. This is why we can say God cares about your job. Like like God cares about helping you if you're a bean counter. God cares about that. Why? He wants you to be the best bean counter that there are in anybody that counts beans. Why? Because as he blesses you and helps you do that, it doesn't matter what you're doing, his glory is shining forth in your life. But you have to be walking in such a way that that transaction 
um, that God can look at it and he can maintain his holiness and he can bless you and illuminate your life as one who is a city set upon a hill that is worthy to be looked at. And, and so what is worthy? Well, that means that I'm walking in the grace of God himself. And, and I understand who I am in Christ. I'm not like full of pride or anything of that nature. So what are the keys? If, if it's all about when God moves, that that's when the shining takes place. How do I make sure that I'm walking in such a way that I'm not impeding God's ability to, to shower me with his power and bestow upon me that which is necessary to achieve what he wants me to achieve? Well, here, here are a few things. First of all, we shine when we fear God. Look at um, Nehemiah 7, verse 2. So there are no people living in the city. The wall is built. Everybody had kind of, if you will, moved out to the suburbs. And so they need people to move in the city. They've got the walls. They've got the temples been erected. And so things are back in place. There's ready for life to happen back in the city. So what does Nehemiah do? He says, I put in charge my brother Hanani, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. If you want God to like shine in your life, then fear God more than most men do. Now, the problem is, is sometimes when we talk about fear of God, is that people think that we're, we're, we're coming at this from like a, you need to be afraid that you're going to hell type of thing, which you do. Like if you're going to be logical and reasonable, like that's not a bad thing to be afraid of. But they, they think that we're teaching that you, the way you're going to control people is by scaring them. Well, that's not what this is about. If you fear something, you have a reverence and a respect for it. Like, I fear fire. I use fire. Fire is good for me. I, I, there, are, there are things that fire helps me to do, but I have a healthy fear of fire because I know that fire can burn me. Um, and so we, we look at a lot of different things, and, and there's a right way to have a healthy fear of God. Like, I don't walk around scared to death that God's going to zap me, but I walk around very well aware of the fact that if I rebel against God, there are consequences, the whole reason for, for Israel being in exile is because they lost their fear of God. And so they lost the capacity to live in the nation and fulfill the promise that had been made to their forefather, Abraham. There were consequences. All throughout the Old Testament, we see that God says, listen, if you choose to follow what I've laid out, there will be the blessing of my favor upon you. And if you choose to rebel against it, there will be the curse of death upon you. Like it just couldn't be any clearer. The New Testament is the same way as it calls us to a place of uh, following hard after the Lord. And so when we want to look at the Lord, man, we want to go, man, I got a healthy fear of the Lord. That's a good thing. Now, I wanted to say by way of uh, caution, you can have an unhealthy fear of God. I mean, you can walk around being afraid all the time that God uh, like is, is more like a policeman. Like if you pass a policeman this morning, I come down 143rd and there was one parked up in a little nook, man. I, <gasps> you know? And sometimes that's the way people live when they follow the Lord. They think they're just kind of driving and then maybe God sees them do something. Well, that's not the way this thing works at all. 
And that's not the kind of fear we're talking about. That would be an unhealthy fear of being afraid of, of being caught. Like with God, you're already caught. Like it's not, when you do something wrong, it's not like he doesn't know. And so a person who is walking in fear of the Lord doesn't try to act like he's doing something, not doing something wrong when he is. That would be hypocritical, be offensive to God. So a person with a healthy fear of God looks in, and he has reverence for God. He sees God as holy and he has an incredible respect for God. And so he doesn't want to walk in a way that is offensive to the Lord. And that's why these guys were picked. They feared God more than most men do. I want to be that kind of man. I want to be a man that, that I, I fear God more than most men do. I hope that you want to be that kind of woman, that you fear God more than most women do. And if you take a look around at the people that are living around us, you won't see a lot of fear of God. You see, like, like people are really cavalier in their approach to who God is in all of his holiness. And, 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 and part of the reason is, is because we, we are so in love with the grace of God, which we should be, but we cannot leave off all of the things that the Bible teaches about the wrath of God. You can't teach the grace of God without teaching the wrath of God. They are both there, and so we have to have that healthy fear. And so as, as we take the, the, the Lord calling us into a place of, of vision, and we fulfill that vision in our lives, and there are people out there who have an unhealthy fear of God, guess what happens when we come in, into their lives? It's like we shine light on that unhealthy fear and help them to gain a healthy fear. And we help to explain things by showing them an, as an example how to live. And so we shine when we fear God. Here's the second thing. We shine when we elevate the word. The next thing that will happen when you have a, a healthy fear of God is you will elevate God's word in your life. Anytime you see people who are kind of like suppressing the word of God, you're seeing people who do not have a fear of God in their lives. But when you have a, a healthy fear of God, the first thing that you want to do is take the Bible and hold it up high and elevate it in your life. And let's look at what happens. So nobody's living in the city. Um, Nehemiah's job was to build the wall. The wall has been built. He puts some other people in charge of the city. And then it says in, verse, in chapter 8, verse 1, all the people, and this is unprompted by Nehemiah, this is very important, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So what happens? They saw the Lord move. They developed a healthy fear of God. The surrounding nations saw God move in the midst of them, shining forth on them again. They developed a fear of God because they saw the Lord was moving in, in the midst of, of these people. And when those two things happened, it led to them elevating the word of God in their lives. Now, what I love is if you look at verse 8, even what I'm doing right now historically goes all the way back to the time of Nehemiah. Look at verse 8. They read from the book of the law. This is the Levites. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. So what happened? They saw a move of God. And therefore, they moved into the city. And as they were assembling in the midst of the city, and, and they had this um, leadership that had a healthy fear of God, it just all of a sudden led to them gathering in an assembly and they called on 
Ezra, the scribe, to read from the word, and then there was exposition taking place. So they were, the, the, the Levites who knew the word were fulfilling their responsibility by coming in and explaining exactly what the things that Ezra was reading meant. And so they had this large group of people, one guy standing up speaking, and a lot of other people breaking out in smaller groups, and the, the Levites explaining the passages that he was reading. And they did this for an extended period of time. And this is essential, okay? So we, we, we see God move, we fear God, we elevate the word of God, and that always leads to confession. You see, when you elevate the word of God in your life, you will shine brighter because you will start to confess sin. Every time that we elevate the word, and that's what preaching is, is you come in and I'm preaching a message, I'm elevating the word in your life. And so if there's, if there's stuff in your life that where you know you're not following the Lord, you're being somewhat rebellious, then the, the proper response is confession of your sin. I, I elevate the word in my life on a daily basis and God shows me, you know, sometimes God shows me stuff that's wise that I need to follow through with, take a risk on and, and be obedient in. Sometimes God shows me stuff that's wrong with my life. Like he just shows me and points right back at me and says, hey, Jimmy, you're really not loving Abby like I've called you to love Abby. You know that I've said to love her like I love the church. And right now, Jimmy, I don't see you doing that. And so the word, as I read the word and I'm feeling that, you know what my proper response is? I'm sorry, Lord. I confess my sin to you and see that I have fallen way short in this area and please forgive me. And then I ask my wife to forgive me. And that's how, that's why elevating the word is so important for us because if you don't elevate the word in your life, you're never gonna confess the sin that's messing up God's ability to be able to shine forth on you and advance the gospel and the kingdom in your, your, your area of influence. And, and so confession of sin is so powerful for us. It's so important. It keeps us in this place that where we're, we're just like, we're, we're open and we're pure, we're, we're raw with the Lord. Like we're never gonna be perfect until the Lord comes back. And so we wanna keep these lines of communication open where we're confessing our sin to God consistently because we're walking in fellowship with him. Well, the problem is, is that um, when, when we do that, sometimes it feels like, man, that, that doesn't sound very fun, but here's the, here's the deal. is the word breaks our hearts. And when we confess, we find freedom. If you're never confessing the sin that's in your life, you're staying in bondage. You're a freed man if you know Jesus and you've met him and you've been born again. You've been set free, but you're living like a captive if you don't understand how to confess your sin and use the word to be elevated in your life to lead you to a place of confession. Like Nobody knows where you need to confess but you and the Lord. And so what do we do? We sit with the Lord, we sit with the word, we let him show us, and then we confess that sin. And as we confess that sin, we begin to find freedom of it, over it because we, we find that we're broken, we're, we're hurting, we're like we feel down about it. And so it, it's a very discouraging thing, but we wanna move past it. And so we're operating in the realm of God shining in our lives. And so we, we elevate that word, then we confess it, and then we shine when we commit to obedience. So it doesn't stop with confession. That's why I always follow up. I use the example of me getting in cycles where I may not be loving Abby like the Lord calls me to, and I confess it to the Lord, 
then I want to obey. And so I want to tell her and I want to talk to her because that helps me to obey what God is calling me to obey. Look at uh, Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 38. So they're in this assembly. They've been reading the word. They've elevated it. And it says, in view of all this, we are making a binding agreement, putting it in writing, and our leaders, our Levites, and our priests are affixing their seals to it. I mean, they put it down. They, they put it down in writing. They realized, that, see, what happens is they get the book of the law out. They're actually reading um, through Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. They're reading this stuff that Moses had received on Mount Sinai from God. And they're realizing that, man, our ancestors wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years, waiting for several of them to die off before they could even come into the promised land. They, 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 didn't, real, they, like, they, they didn't understand all that had happened with God previously. And so as they were reading it, they were becoming aware of it, man, and the lights were coming on and God was illuminating things. And they were, they were going through this time of confession and they realized that, hey, man, the whole reason that we, even though our, our ancestors finally made it to the promised land, they got taken out of the promised land and went into exile because they were disobeying God. And so they committed to obey it. And their leaders took their seals and they, they put a wax stamp on, on a, something that they all signed and they put their seal on it, signifying that, hey, we're going public and we are going to obey what God has called us to do. And so they, they learned things like, this was really cool. They, they learned... Um, about this thing called the Feast of Booths. And this was a, a Jewish festival that God had called um, the Israelites to observe to help them remember when they wandered around in the wilderness. And so every so often they were to have this festival where they would go out and they would get branches and, and uh, tree limbs and they would build these temporary um, lean-to makeshift tents, if you will, and they would sleep in them for seven days. And so they're reading about this. And Ezra's reading about it. And the Levites and the scribes are explaining it. And all the people of Israel are going, what? why haven't we done that? It hadn't been done since the time of Joshua for hundreds of years. They've just moved back into the city. Um, they're just coming back in. And, and guess what they see that they need to do? Hey, we need to do this. Now, do you think they're saying, oh, that was, we don't need to do that. That's not that important. Don't worry about that. No, 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 we need to do this. The word says that we need to do it. And so what do they do? Um, they all go outside of the city and they find branches and they drag them back in the city after they've settled in the city and they start building temporary huts all over the city. And they're gonna live in these huts for seven days. You go, that doesn't make sense. That's kind of ridiculous. And it never does make sense when God asks us to do something that we fully don't understand. Explain to me the sense it makes for a believer once they have confessed their sin and followed Jesus Christ as their personal Savior and said, I need to be saved. Explain to me the sense it makes to get in a tub of water and be baptized. Like, I don't understand that. But God uses the foolishness of men to confound man's wisdom. And so I got baptized. Why? Because that's what the Word says I'm supposed to do. Um, explain to me giving of my income when I, I feel like I don't have income. It doesn't make sense for me to give to the Lord and tithe on every dollar that I make. It doesn't make sense when I often feel like I don't have enough. Why do I do it? Because that's what the word says to do and I want God to shine in my life. 
And so I don't do it for a religious reason and go, oh man, I'm being a good boy. I'm doing it because I, I have a healthy fear of the Lord. The word has been elevated in my life. And I realize that if I don't do it, guess what I need to do? Confess, 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 confess. I'm living in bondage if I don't do it. And so, so we see this, we see, begin to see the freedom of God coming into our lives. And so they saw it, they, 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 it didn't have to make total sense to them, they did it and they realized that what got them into the position that they were in as a nation was disobeying God and so they stepped right back into obedience and they, they did it because God said to do it. And so we shine when we commit to obedience. And then we shine when we live as citizens of God's city. And so we see, we go, okay, God moves, we need to fear God, we need to elevate the word of God, we need to confess our sin, we need to commit to obedience, and then we need to live as citizens of God's city. And so what they did, like, they, they didn't have anybody to live in the city. And so they, like, just imagine we all live out here in this area, and, but nobody lives in Kansas City. Nobody lives down there in the urban area, but it's our city. And so they said, well, this is how we're going to figure this out. We're going to cast the lots, and every 10th person that the lot falls on, you got to move down to Kansas City. Oh, I hope I get number eight. I hope I get number eight, right? Well, this is what they did. And so they, they, they extracted a certain amount of their population and said, all right, the lot has fallen on you. You need to move downtown. you got to move back into the city. But this is really cool, and this is the kind of people we want to be. Look at verse 2 of chapter 11. The people commended all who volunteered to live in Jerusalem. So the lot fell on every 10th person. But then there were a bunch of people that just signed up and said, I'm going back. I want to be right in the middle of what God is doing. And so they're living as citizens of the city of God. When we become followers of Jesus, we become part of the kingdom of God. And we need to live like citizens of that kingdom. So that's why, like, we look at all of this. Basically, what I'm saying is, what does it mean to live like a citizen of the kingdom? It means that I'm always looking for God to move in my life, that I have a healthy fear of God, that I elevate the word, that I confess my sin, and I commit to obedience, and then I'm living like a citizen of the city. And so what we want is we just want to be citizens, but we don't want to live like it. If we want God to shine on our lives, Listen, if we want God to shine in the midst of our church, then, then God can't just shine on my life as the pastor. And God can't just shine on Brent's life uh, as the worship pastor. Like God has to shine on our lives and he has to be happening all around us because what happens is people start to notice, man, there is a move of God taking amongst those people. I see something different. These people don't live like the rest of the people around me. And they begin to see something that before was not visible to them, just like me turning the lights on on that trail and seeing that there were things all around me that I was totally unaware of. It all happened because of the light. Now, here's, here's the cool thing, the big idea. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Like we, we look at this, look at Nehemiah chapter eight, verses nine and 10. Then Nehemiah, so the people like, man, when they're going through this confession piece, I love this part of the story. They're going through this confession piece and they realize what they do, they, they, that they've been off. Like they hear the word of God. And, and as they hear the word of God and they believe the word of God and they see God move, they're like, we have blown it. And they're broken and they're mourning and they're grieving and they're downcast. They're tearing their clothes and the, the, the scripture says that they are grieving. But Nehemiah the governor and Ezra the priest 
of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, this day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. And Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Like when they see all of the stuff that they've been getting wrong, the, the people who are in authority over them come and say, no, 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 don't mourn over this. It's a good thing that you've seen this. Rejoice because sin that brings shame always leads us to the conclusion if we're following God, that God has made a way and forgiveness is there. And so when I see my shame, I simultaneously, as I'm walking with God, see my forgiveness. It, it, it is a celebration of joy because joy is our strength, and the Lord knows that. It is the good news of the gospel. We are a forgiven people. Now, when we go to chapter 12 of Nehemiah in verse 43, <laughs> and on that day, they offered great sacrifices, rejoicing because God had given them great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. And the sound of rejoicing in Jerusalem could be heard far away. Not the sound of singing. Anybody can sing. The sound of rejoicing. Like that people recognize there's just something that God is the source of our strength. So the sound of rejoicing reaches far and, and vision, divine vision, is always about God. And when those two intersect and God starts to move in our lives, we'll have the rejoicing of our hearts taking place. Uh, the only way I can explain it, like just to give the, the weakest illustration I can about what I'm trying to talk about, about the joy of the Lord, is yesterday um, our uh, third grade daughter, Caitlin, she had a basketball game. And the girls, man, they... They started playing good in the second half. And if you've ever been to a third grade game, they're not usually that interesting. But they, got, they started coming back. And so we had like 14 seconds left. So we call a timeout. And we're down like two points. No, we're down three points, I think. No, we're down two points. I don't know. I'll make the story good in a minute. And so they, we're down. And like, like, so we call a timeout. And we draw up a play. And the girls go out there, and we've got me and the other coach, we got it all ready, we got it together. And we, we draw the play up, and they get out there, and, they, and they, 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 they get ready to throw the ball in. They throw the ball in, and they don't know what to do. So we call another timeout. We brought them back over and said, no, this is what you do. Like, two girls are going to stand here, you're going to stand over there and throw the ball, and then this girl's going to run through, and you're just going to throw it to her. And so they go, oh, I didn't know you want me to do that. So they got it. And so we lined them all up. The play started, and the girl ran through. And boom, she comes running down the lane. The girl, little third-grade girl, makes a perfect pass. Boom, our big post player grabs the ball, goes up for a shot, and gets fouled, and the clock stops. She goes to the line. She makes one free throw. And so now, like, um, we're down two. <laughs> and so, like, the, they, they take the ball out, and they, no, the second shot she misses, and when she misses it, they get the rebound, and the other team's dribbling. They step out of bounds, and we get the ball back with one second. Third graders. <laughs> so, like, so awesome. So the girl throws a, the girl makes the entry pass to one of our girls, and the girl dribbles around and launches the shot. Nothing but net. 
and the third grade girl just starts bawling. And she did, like the, everybody, the parents are running off the bench, everybody's screaming and going crazy, but this girl is just crying. She can't even handle the emotion. Then the other girl that made the free throw, she starts crying and there's just this outburst. And like, I'm crying. No, I wasn't crying. <laughs> and so what we see there is an uncontrollable emotion that came from a game. When the Bible talks about joy being our strength, when our lives intersect with divine vision and we start living this stuff out, like it sounds hard and it sounds, like it sounds like, man, I don't know all this confession stuff and elevating the word and reading the word. Man, like what happens is when you get in that and you start living in that, then the joy of the Lord just starts coming out of you, right? Like most of you guys, the reason you have stuck around here, like you, you see that like you, you, you enjoy the teaching and, and, the, and the worship and things because you, you know that there's the joy of the Lord and like you, you're, you're wanting to experience that. Listen, it is our strength. Like, like it's, if there were no joy of the Lord, there's no way I could have been in ministry for the last 20 years. But I keep on keeping on because the joy of the Lord is my strength, man. It floods my soul. And so I look at each one of you and I go, man, listen, God has a vision for your life. And he wants you to do some incredible things for him. He wants you to line up with what he's calling you to do. And, and as you walk in that, the joy of the Lord is going to be your strength. And he's going he's gonna to begin to pour it out in your life. And, and I think that the joy of the Lord is a sign of God's favor in our lives because it's the strength we need to accomplish what he's called us to. Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.